mission to explore the far reaches of cinema. Three daring adventurers dive deep into the Criterion and beyond. These are the tales of their adventures. This is Cinenauts! I'm Boom. This is Kajer. And welcome to the fourth episode of Synonauts, exploring the criterion. Woo! Each week, Boom, Catcher, and I will select and discuss a movie from the Criterion Collection or the Criterion Channel and beyond and discuss what we liked about the movies, et cetera, et cetera. Boom, Catcher, how are you doing? How's your week? Much more relaxed than last week, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a much more chill week although it's starting to get cold here in Canada mm-hmm. so that's happening um windy it was quite windy the other night yeah you know Canada's just doing what Canada does best and just gets chilly so yeah I hear it gets cold up there that's what that's what we've heard down here yeah <laughs> if you're joining us this week thanks for hanging out uh we've had the fun first three episodes if you haven't listened to them go back check them out we did Parasite the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Rafiki. Uh, and then this week we are going to do my pick, which is A Hard Day's Night, which came out in 1964. But before we get to that, um, let's hear, what, what were you guys, uh, what did you all watch this week? Boom, we'll start with you. Well, I actually watched a lot of stuff last week. Uh, nice. First things first is I watched Possessor. Oh, nice. <sighs> what do you think? Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. Like, it's a good film. It blends sci-fi and horror together really well. And it also felt really new. So that was exciting. Um, And it comes off like really strong for the most part. um, But it does feel like it's punching up and kind of like missing um, or lacking in parts. But yeah, the acting is strong and compelling. But it made me so unbelievably uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Like when the movie was over, I just felt so weird and so paranoid. Like I couldn't even look in the mirror. I was like looking at in the mirror and I was just like, am I even myself? Like what the hell? So mission accomplished. Yeah. yeah. Mission accomplished. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like I think on, I said, I'm like, this is a good movie, but I do not like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's fair. Yeah. So I did that. And then I also got a little uh, festive. Mm-hmm. And I went over to visit my mom and we watched uh, Jingle Jangle. Oh, how was that? It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like this Netflix Christmas musical, but it's got an all black cast. And it's not like revolutionary in the way of movie musicals, but it's solid. And even as like a 30 year old woman, I found it incredibly enjoyable and feel good. Like, I love music. uh, Like, sorry, I love musicals. And by the time, like, the first song starts, I was like, what is this strange feeling? You know? And I was like, oh, my God, that's, like, serotonin. (laughs) (laughs) Feels good. Yeah, it was just, like, really feel good. Um, And I do think it speaks to how important representation is. Mm -hmm. I think back to all the stuff that, like, like that that I loved as a kid. Uh, One of the standouts for me would be Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Mm -hmm. And just like getting that like fun feeling. Um, And all these movies were like pretty white, but it really didn't matter to me. But then I remember kind of like Cinderella with Brandy Mm -hmm. 
and, and like a Filipino uh, prince. A Filipino prince. Yeah, it was amazing. It was just like colorblind casting, black Cinderella, Asian prince. Um, and I do the, think those things like shape our perspective a little bit. So it kind of like I, I was honestly tearing up. Like I was just thinking about like little kids watching something like this and just kind of seeing themselves. Um, so, yeah. And the music's just good. The costumes are amazing. Um, Forrest Whitaker singing. It's, it's a fun time. <laughs> yeah. On, on that, like Disney also released like a short music video, um, like a yeah. Christmas short. And it was about like a Filipino, Filipina grandmother, which was <gasps> really cool. And they, it takes starts in Manila and then it comes to, I'm assuming, you know, the United States or something. And they do a bunch of things like that. If you were only Filipino, you would probably recognize. So that was really cool seeing that. Um, so yeah. I feel like that, that's awesome. Yeah, it's just nice seeing things that are kind of like authentic to like your culture, especially we live in these, we live in North America where there's just so many different cultures. And mm -hmm. so it's just nice to see those things being represented. And then the last thing that I did was I watched The Crown season four, Ooh. binged it in a, in a day and a half. Oh, crap. And it's honestly not like I, I would say like this is kind of a show you might want to savor, not kind of like binge through. Right. Um, but yeah, and I won't give any, any spoilers because it just dropped, but I am a huge fan of this show. Like I think everybody has their opinions of the royal family, but we all like love the scandals and intrigue. <laughs> right. So the show like really leans into that, but it does it in a really tasteful way, I think. Mm -hmm. Um. So, and they also like spare no expense. Like Netflix drops like 13 mil Jesus. on an episode for this wow. show, which I think is nuts because if you want to kind of like think about like for scale, if you think about Sense8, I know Catcher's seen it, mm. but that was only on average like six mil an episode and they shot that all around the world. So it's crazy to me how really? expensive the show is. Really? Yeah. They shot yeah. that for only six mil an episode? Uh, like it, on average, first season was like 4.5 mil. Wow. Second season was like 9 mil an episode. Dude, they but. need to bring that show back. I mean, it sh maybe not like leave it rested, but Sense8 was so good. It oh, was I so it. good. It. <sighs> so sad. It's one of my all-time favorite shows. My roommate actually is watching it right now in the other room because I finally got him to do it. <laughs> it's an absolutely outstanding show. I yeah. love it so much. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, we we sidebarred pretty far from The Crown. So all I'll say about The Crown season four um, is it's good, but I think it's the weakest season yet. Mm. Um, I think they're leaning. So we've all been waiting for like Diana to come into play. Yeah. She does in this season. But I think that they lean a little bit too heavily on it and kind of use it as a crutch. Um, mm, and it gets a little repetitive. Um, and we also have Gillian Anderson playing Margaret, Margaret Thatcher. Mm -hmm. Um, and she does like such a good job, but it's also like hilarious because Margaret Thatcher is like such a character to begin with. Yeah. And it's also Gillian Anderson. So she's still kind of like hot. Like, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's weird stuff, but it, but it's good. So, um, yeah, that was my week. Nice. Catcher. <laughs> what about you? Oh, I started watching the James Bond, the new James Bond movies. Spectre. Spectre and All, yeah, oh, so yeah. I I sort of I started with Quantum of Solace just because everyone hates that movie, and so mm -hmm. if everyone hates something, then I'm on board to try and like it for myself. And we have a mutual friend, Jonesy loves beer, who's like a huge uh, James Bond fan, mm -hmm. and so I texted him late at night because I had this amazing realization about one of the openings, and we talked for hours, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna rewatch the series. So 
Yeah, so I watched that. And then really, though, like I, I spent a lot of this week listening to podcasts. So I kind of want to shout out two that I've been really, really loving. One is called Story Break. Uh, it's on the Maximum Fun Network. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's made, it's done by the guys uh, Rocket Jump. They're like a YouTube. They made like uh, some movies and stuff. Um, but they do basically every episode is one hour long and they have to crack a story. Or like a, they have to basically crack a movie idea. Based on <laughs> random shit. So yeah. uh, they did like a Kellogg cinematic universe. They did like a Jar, a Jar Jar Binks story. All that. They, they, they've done like, so at, at the beginning, it was a lot of like video games. There's a Duke Nukem episode that is absolutely uh-huh. amazing. Uh, and they've gotten a little bit more like abstract over the years, but it's incredibly good. They're just three screenwriters and they're just trying to crack a story. It's nice. brilliant. I've never and, heard of that. I like Max Fun though. That, that's a good network. Yeah, they, and this show is really smart. It's really fun. Um, if you want to just like learn about storytelling and and want, and listen to people try and like crack ideas and just spitball, it's really a good time. And then the second one is the Team Deacons podcast, mm-hmm. which is uh, Roger Deacons and his wife James Deacons, and they sit down with like directors or actors, cinematographers, whatever, and they interview them about their work and they just talk about the process and. If it doesn't make me want to like watch every movie ever, anyone they talk about, it just gets me so hyped and they get into the details and and what it was like to make these movies. Um, So they were talking about the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford and uh, on the most recent episode. And I'm like, okay, I need to watch this movie. It's been too long and I'm, I really, I'm really hyped to watch it now. I've never seen the movie. That's been on my list for a long time. Um, I've heard it's amazing. I just have never gotten around it for some reason, but I've heard it's great. I watched it when I was younger, um, when I was like first started getting into movies, like in college. And I just, there was something special there, but it it didn't click for me at the time. So I'm excited now that I've been like watching so much stuff and have much more of like a little bit of a trained eye. I'm excited to rewatch it with that. So yeah, that's, so that's what I've been, I've been listening to podcast team Deacons and story break. Definitely check them both out. Yeah. Nice. Let's see. So this week, my movie watching was less so than normal because uh, I got a PlayStation 5 and I have been playing <laughs> that nonstop. Oh. It's incredible. That's amazing. It is unbelievable. Like, it's so the graphics jealous. are obviously amazing, but this like adaptive controller they have is so freaking cool. It's hard to describe, but basically, like, controller interacts with the game. So, like, if a car drives by you on the left side of the screen, only the left side of the controller rumbles and all that sort of stuff. It just makes it much more uh, immersive. So I've been spending a lot of time with the Miles Morales Spider-Man game on that. Mm, I've been playing that too on PS4. It's so good. And then movie-wise, I watched. I finally watched David Byrne's American Utopia. Uh, David Byrne was the uh, lead singer and me and Guy of the Talking Heads. He basically he did like a Broadway show last year uh, where it's basically like a concert sort of in, in between. He's like speaking parts. Uh, he does little monologues in between stuff. And it is so, so good. It's on HBO Max. I'm a Talking Heads fan. Um, so I, I'm obviously biased to it, but like Spike Lee directed it and it looks amazing. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like it looks real. There's a lot of really cool cinematography stuff he does with the, with the show. Um, That's what I heard too. It's really, really pretty to look at. And obviously the music is fantastic. So, uh, sweet. Yeah. I recommend those. I heard today my buddy sent me a thing Spike Lee's directing a musical. Based on the, the the history or the story of Viagra, <laughs> what? 
that which, can't be real. Where, where'd they get that news? That's on, from comicbookreview.com. Where's that from? <laughs> hold on. Let me check. Hold on. Is I'm there a Kickstarter? Right I'm donating. I don't I don't trust the story one bit. We need to verify this. Yeah. Fact check right now. Don't play with my heart like that. <laughs> via deadline. Via, okay. Via deadline. Okay. That's legit. Lights, camera, bar stool says Spike Lee is going to direct a musical about the creation of Viagra. That's all I got. <laughs> all right. Well, and then hold the on, article? hold on. Look at the picture of the face they used of Spike Lee. <laughs> Cheeky boy. I'll, I'll, I'll post this up somewhere so people can see his face. Before we embark on today's mission, uh, I do want to send out a reminder. If you have some thoughts about the show, you have some comments, uh, shoot us an email or send us a voicemail to synonotspod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our Instagram is have, has lots of fun Q&A questions. Uh, like today, we talked about what are people's favorite movies starring musicians. People said... That was a fun one. Uh, what what Did you answer that yourself? Boom or Catcher? I think Boom, I saw you throw an answer in there. Did you not? Was it I Shallow? did. I picked um, Most Deaf in oh, yes. Be Kind, Rewind. That's such an Ooh. underrated movie. I love Agreed. that movie. Agreed. It is very underrated. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. Yeah, it's great. It also created like a verb. Like, sweeted is a thing. Like, people say that word, sweeted. like, sweeted. <laughs> If like they're making like their own versions of movies. Um, but yeah, anyway, yeah. send us pod at gmail.com. But now I'm going to take us on a journey uh, yep. in uh, <laughs> July 6th, 1957. This is a day uh, that the world changed because that is a day that a young John Lennon and a young Paul McCartney met for the first time. Uh, they were playing in their own separate bands in Liverpool in England. And um, one of their mutual friends said, hey, John, I think you need to meet Paul. They met each other and they were like, we should start making music together. And then along comes George Harrison. And then uh, a couple of years later, they grab Ringo Starr to come on as a new drummer while they're in Hamburg, Germany. And they officially become what we now know uh, as the present day Beatles. The Beatles are my favorite band like ever. Um, you know, I, I think it, I think it's, hard to quantify them for me sometimes I would put that like I feel like it's a cheat when I say that so I you know but the Beatles are absolutely you know I can I grew up with the Beatles I love all their music I frequently listen to them uh, I actually talk about them at length uh, on our friend Slim's podcast faves so you can check that out. I actually talk about Abbey Road but so the Beatles they come onto the scene they're playing shows in Europe they're getting huge success over there playing cover songs in Germany uh, again, all over Liverpool and all over England. Uh, and then they release a song in 1963 and a single uh, album called Please Please Me. So this was their debut LP. This album basically kicks off what is now known as Beatlemania, where they mm. become the biggest, not band in the world, just the biggest thing in Anything. the world. Anything in the world. They are selling out shows. They are Albums are breaking records everywhere. Uh, and then at the same time, there already hits in England, the rumblings of this British band, this British rock and roll band. And the Ed Sullivan show takes them over here in the United States in February, 1964. The show is viewed by 73 million people, which at the time is, wow. is insane concerning. Yeah. I mean, that's a crazy number now. And then considering how many less people, fewer people had TVs back then, that's huge. And then that just yeah. kicks off the Beatlemania here in the United States. They go on to do sellout tours and, uh, baseball stadiums all over the world and then they go on to become you know arguably the biggest and most influential band of all time 
before they start stopped their big Beatlemania tours, their producers were like, you know what? We need to capitalize on what we can do with these guys. Mm-hmm. And they decide to make a movie called A Hard Day's Night. Uh, a Hard Day's Night comes out in 1964, and it's and we're obviously going to discuss it, but it's basically takes a day in the life of the Beatles, and the movie makes $11 million uh, in the box office in 1964, which by today's standards would have been $91 million, uh, wow. which is pretty wild. It was really the first time a, a band had done anything like this, and it obviously sets up a whole bunch of influences for music videos, uh, the way bands mm-hmm. are able to cross the boundary of being just uh, musicians to bringing their music to the world in different formats. They go on to make another movie called Help, which has equal success. It's also the same sort of giddy, goofy, sort of slapstick comedy that is very uh, reminiscent of the band. And then they do also do the Yellow Submarine, the animated psychedelic cartoon. Uh, but they don't voice any of the... Um, they don't voice any of the parts in Yellow Submarine. They just use their music, but they are starring mm-hmm. in A Hard Day's Night and Help. Like as a band, they only made music for 10 years, 1960 to 1970. But in mm-hmm. that time, they did more for music and more as musicians than I think any band has ever done and probably will ever do. They were so influential and were able to change the direction of all their music. Um, and so, yeah, I thought this was an, this was an exciting pick for me. Like I said last yeah. week, uh, I had some other decisions, I, I other movies I want to talk about, but I think we have had some stressful times. So I wanted to pick a feel-good movie uh, for us yeah. to discuss a bit about a band I love deeply. Let's get into it. Boomcatcher, are, are you two Beatles fans? Or what, what is your relationship with the Beatles? I think I would definitely call myself a Beatles fan. Mm-hmm. However, I didn't grow up in the like quintessential Beatles household. <laughs> right. <laughs> So like that. So I kind of discovered the Be- I mean, there's no escaping the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Like I always knew they were a thing. Like I always kind of heard their music. Um, but I think like the first time their music really ever gripped me was when I went to see Across the Universe. Uh, like, I don't know if that's sad to say. But no, I don't think so at all. No. Yeah, but it's true. And that's kind of like piqued my curiosity and kind of um, went from there. But they've never been like a solid part of like my musical interests or life. Like I definitely understand how influential, influential Mm -hmm. they are. I definitely love their music. Like I I do think it's great. By the time I kind of was like properly introduced to Mm -hmm. them, I had already kind of like had an established musical taste, you know? So yeah, that's kind of my Beatles life. <laughs> yeah, Across the Universe is great. For those who haven't seen it, it's a m- movie musical that came out in 2008 or 2009, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, starring Jim Sturges and Rachel Evan Wood. And it's very good. They do a lot of really cool versions of Beatles songs in there. The Let It Be mm-hmm. in particular is amazing. Um, oh, I bawled. Yeah, I The cried. Let It Be is really good and a yeah. bunch of them. Uh, Catcher, how about you? I definitely grew up with On the Beatles for sure. Like, Day in the Life was like my favorite song in like third grade, I think. Like my dad, <laughs> my dad, I got like a, a little tape player. Yeah, like third or fourth grade or something like that, maybe a little bit earlier. My dad gave me this suitcase that was full of cassette tapes that he had when he was younger. And it was Aww. just like stuff that he had recorded off the radio or like just cassettes of like albums that he liked. And on one of them was like a Beatles mixtape that he had. <laughs> And I would like listen to the shit out of that. They're so amazing. Like, they, yes, truly. They are like a very few bands um, where I say this sometimes where one song 
and the style of one song, especially like some of their later work, mm-hmm. one song could be like an entire sort of vibe one artist would have their entire life. Like they yep. will live their whole life on one song style and that that would just be one song on one album that they put out. It, mm-hmm. And then and their influence especially on like the recording process and really embracing mm-hmm. what you can do inside the studio because they really had no other choice. They couldn't right. go out, they couldn't play shows as you can sort of see in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like the the mania around them just meant that they were being swarmed everywhere. So they just turn inwards and start recording from inside the studio. Getting back to like the film that we watch, Hard Day's Night, like they are still in their like sort of clean aesthetic mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. their younger, poppier songs, which are all very good. And I have to say, like as I get older, the more and more I love their early work because mm-hmm. it's so good. And uh, in this movie, they are still going through this like, sort of clean phase of their career, but you can start to see where they will sort of diverge and how they will become their own people. And you're starting to really get the different characters mm-hmm. that you'll start to see as they grow older. And is John Lennon like the AJ McLean of the Beatles? <laughs> like he's in this movie, such a troublemaker. That's his name, right? AJ McLean. Yeah. The yeah. Guy yeah. From Backstreet Boys. I mean, Backstreet Boys. BSB. Yeah. Yeah. He's like the bad boy. Right. And like, yeah. is John Lennon not the bad boy in this, in this movie? Like yeah. he's constantly, he does a, just, she does two cocaine jokes that I caught at least. I think two. There could have been more. The cocaine, the coke, the coke bottle, cocaine yeah. joke is the great. That is the greatest thing <laughs> I'd ever seen. I stopped the movie. I was with my girlfriend at the time, and I was like, "Did he just sniff a coke bottle? This is amazing. <laughs> like, this is great." And she just like starts laughing at me. Um, but yeah, it's it's so cool to sort of like see them as characters mm-hmm. um, that are that are clearly like based off themselves. Like yeah. something, yeah. something that we seem to discuss a few times on this is like experiencing these movies in theaters at the time it came out. Yes. And you know, we have, we discussed that pretty deep on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So that is like one way to experience the movie with the crowd. And then here is like 1964. You're only hearing about the Beatles on like, you know, magazines or that come out once a month or, uh, you know, new singles that come out or the random talk show things they do. Um, and this mm-hmm. gave like their rabid fans, which you get to see at the end of the movie. That's like no exaggeration of what their concerts were like. If you've never yeah. seen a Beatles like live performance, you should YouTube it because it is wild uh, th- that they can, anyone could even hear what they're doing because it's just people screaming yeah. the entire time. Um, and, you know, so these people get, get a chance to watch their favorite band, like their idols for a dedicated, you know, hour and a half of time where it's uninterrupted and they just get to stare and get like a sense of their personalities because, you know, I have watched tons and read tons of books on the Beatles and watched documentaries about them. And you know, their, their real life personas are pretty much like what they are in, in that the film. Like it's very accurate to who they're like, it seems like, you know, they had a lot of say into how they were portrayed on screen. Like John was very, he was very cheeky and very sarcastic. And that comes a lot. Like he was very, you know, just overall their sarcasm, like they're playing for the queen and at one point, uh, they said, you know, this this song is for the people all the way in the back. And if you're up in the front, you can just jangle your jewelry. Uh, so, you know, they're Ooh. like, yeah, they're very like cheeky and, and smart asses like that. And that yeah. is throughout the whole movie. Um, and I, I think that's that's a cool way to sort of experience them in a way that obviously now we can't, uh, you know, we don't know two of them um, yeah. because they've passed away. But getting to see them like that when they're young and before they really started yeah. hating each other and all that sort of stuff. It's really cool to see that. It's an interesting thing too, because it's just like 
you know, you see Beatlemania taking off and kind of changing the way we, we like interact with musicians and people we're interested in, you know, it's so different now. And it, and I think it kind of stems from there because now I can literally just like go on Google and find out what Britney Spears like ate for breakfast this morning. <laughs> right. Um, so I could imagine how exciting having that like little peek into their lives would be. Like, I understand that it was technically fiction, right? but it also felt real. It felt kind of like documentary style mm-hmm. and you do see their personality shining through. So yeah, that, that does seem very exciting for that time. I was watching an interview, I think it was with Ringo and someone was asking about like the screaming because, and he was saying that like he couldn't even hear, like they couldn't even hear themselves most of the time. And it actually led them to feel like they were becoming like lazy Mm -hmm. musicians. And then they kind of had to go and like go back and practice and go into the studios and kind of like re-perfect their sounds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I think their last stadium, they, the last show they played in Candlestick Park in San Francisco, like yeah. when they, they had to be ushered out in like an emergency vehicle, like that scene in A Hard Day's Night where they have to go into the cab and then exit and then, out the other side and then go and do another <laughs> so one. Good. That's like what they had to do, yeah. you know, yeah. in real life, basically. You know, one of them said it was in that moment they were being hauled away in a, in a disguised ambulance because that was yeah. the only way they were able to get through traffic. And they were like, we have to stop. Like if we want to keep making music, we have to stop doing this. So it's crazy. Yeah. Like their fame led them to a also like Patrick tapped on to produce just like the more like mature and advanced sound, but also just like totally led to them st- stopping having to perform, which is wild. Yeah. And it's kind of nice that they went in that direction. I feel like a lot of artists kind of like reach that level of fame and then kind of go the other way because mm-hmm. they don't really need to try. They don't need to be particularly great because they already have the clout. So mm-hmm it's kind of cool that they went on to just kind of like get better and better. And so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that also reminded me, they did do one other movie called let it be, which was about the making of the album, let it be, which also mm-hmm. turned out to be a documentary about how they broke up. But I want to call that out now. Cause I'm sure someone will listen to this and say, you forgot one Beatles movie, but that was it. All right. We know you're a real fan. You don't have to listen to them. I had that call. I, I know H is already H. I'm making H delete his email that he's sending sending over right now. Um, so let's talk about the movie uh, it's a weird. little bit here. It's weird, it's right? Weird. Way weirder than I was expecting. Like yeah, considering same. that time frame, the cover is like them in their mop tops, and you're just like, okay, it's just gonna be them running around. It'll be fine. And the movie started, and I was like whoa okay what is going on this it, it's weird from like almost the jump and it continues to get stranger and a lot more like experimental than i was expecting it to be i don't know what your guys experience with it like the first time I mean, is this this is the first time you've also seen this it, right? is the f- this is the first time i've seen it so i actually had to watch it twice Same, yeah. because the first time i watched it i was absolutely not in the headspace like <laughs> I was I, like Ketra said, like I just it was the like opposite of what I was expecting. And it is just so fast paced. Like it's just not ADD friendly at all. Mm-hmm. Like it's just jam packed with like content and just there's things going on. Um, also, the accents are super thick. Yeah. So I had to go back and do a second viewing where I was like a little more chill, like brewed myself a tea. Um, <laughs> and I also put on the captions. Yeah. That liver liverpudlian accent is is very thick. 
Yeah. yeah thick with two C's, maybe mm-hmm. even three C's. <laughs> <laughs> I actually read a thing where they had wanted to, when they distributed it, like uh, in America, they wanted to redub their, their voices mm-hmm. in Aww. a way that sounded less intense. And they turned around and they're like, "Listen, if we gotta listen to your thick Texas accent in your westerns, <laughs> we you can you if you can figure that out, you can figure out our Liverpool accent." Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and it's a part of the charm too, mm-hmm. right? Like if they take that away, they take away a lot of like what kind of hits hard, mm-hmm. especially the jokes and the humor. You know, it's very specific to them and then their culture. So we touched on the the multiple cocaine references, but the <laughs> the movie. For being like mop toppy, good looking, bubblegummy pop group, uh, the jokes are very much like sort of, they're not safe jokes at all. No. You know, very British, like Monty Python-esque style of humor. Like um, when they introduce the grandpa, hey, the grandpa's character, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Mm -hmm. when they introduce the grandpa, they do like a wordplay joke for like, you know, immediately it's like, oh, he's very clean. He's very clean. Like who, they do the same joke several times and just sort yeah. of reiterate it and spin, like spin the writing. And every time I'm like, that's like very clever and something that, you know, I think is very, very British humor to me. Well, it's very, well, I, my girlfriend is actually from Liverpool. She's oh, a scout. Nice. She's a scouse. And, yeah. uh, she was telling me, she's like, this is, movie is very Liverpool. Like the wordplay and that specific style of humor is very much ingrained in sort of the Liverpool way of speaking and, and their sort of like specific Liverpool style. Um, so it was really cool to, to get that insight because you really are getting a vibe of like how they grew up and like how, what they see is funny. And, and you're seeing more of their personality in the way they talk. It's got, mm-hmm. it's, it's got so much more weight to it. They're not just saying funny things for funny sake. It's like this, this really is how they would speak to each other. And the, the writer of the movie like lived with them for like a week and was like really spending time with trying to make sure that what they were saying was things that they would say. But then just to see how clever they are, like you understand why their writing is so strong, like their songwriting is so strong because they mm-hmm. have such a great grasp on language and that really comes through with the dialogue, obviously it's written by a playwright, so that helps them. But right. I think a lot of it is inspired by the things that they've actually said. So it's, it's cool to, to see that's where their mind has always been at this sort of like weird, fun place. Yeah. My, my favorite little gag they do is the one where John is in the bathtub oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and the manager comes in saying, you're late for rehearsal. And like, John, get out of there. And then like the water starts to fade and it's just John's <laughs> clothes in, in the tub. And then he walks in and he's like, Oh, what are you doing? Well, well, uh, I mean, just little things like that. Like it's so stupid. And so just yeah. like, yeah, just very cute humor, but also like very smart and very, yeah. it's not written for the teen fans they had. Right. Like it's, I think it's giving their fans a little more credit into the kind of things that they would find funny yeah. uh, and it works totally. really well. I like those like little moments, like the bathtub moment or uh, this part where they're on the train and then all of a sudden they're like outside of the train. <laughs> right. Like I like, because it is so like kind of documentary style and it does feel real and you do feel like it's a day in a life. I kind of like those moments that are um, a little bit more like movie magic moments um, mm-hmm. and an interesting choice. And I think it worked well and kind of reminds you that you're here to have a good time. So before we get to the musical numbers, let's, let's talk a little bit about the grandpa. <laughs> uh, the grandpa mm-hmm. played by uh, Wilfred Brambell. He was like a, a fairly popular comedic actor 
in England at the time. So I think he, mm-hmm. for you know, at the time he was pretty famous for people watching it. I had never heard of him um, other than this movie. And he is something else. So basically the whole movie circles around the Beatles trying to get to the show uh, to p- perform at a TV performance that they're scheduled to do and various things happen along the way. Um, but like the beast subplot is John is Paul McCartney's weird grandfather <laughs> who, who just getting into all sorts so of trouble. Creepy, he's man. stealing from a casino. He's, he's getting autographs <laughs> signed that he's from the Beatles that he's going to sell in the street. He's sneaking into like various things. He convinces Ringo to like maybe leave the band for a bit. Uh, what did you, what did you think about the grandpa? I absolutely loved him. He was like hands down my favorite part of this movie. I I like you just saying that he was like a popular comedic actor in England makes me excited because I think I would just watch him like all the time always. Um, I also love like he's just such a mess of menace, but like I also love that he's like low key a cab like <laughs> yeah. in this scene when they get they get taken in by the police and he like calls out what does he say he's like all right you paid assassins yeah. and then just like jets <laughs> I, was like, I was like this guy is too good and he's just like positioned really well in the film and kind of like comes in at the perfect moments to be honest like there was a lot of parts where I was just kind of like a little overwhelmed. Um, (laughs) But any part with him, I was just like feeling very like engaged and I was laughing out loud and yeah, he's, he's great. He's, he's the star player. I think, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, What about you? Well, you had mentioned sort of that early joke when he's first introduced and they're all like, he's a clean, the line is like, he's a clean man. And they keep bringing yeah. up the fact that he's a clean man. And I was like, why do they keep calling him a clean man? This is weird. I don't understand what's going on. And so I lo- was looking it up. So it turns out, so he, like you mentioned, Ian, he's like a famous, he at the time was a famous comedic actor. And he was playing a character on TV and they would always call him like the old dirty man. So he was the old <laughs> dirty man to everyone in like in England at the time. And so to cast him as like this reoccurring joke is like they keep mentioning that he is like the clean man because of him being actually the old dirty man. So it's like he's an old clean man. And so that's that's again, more of this like funny wordplay and like really speaking to the audience and being like, yeah, we know we know what's going on. Like they're they're not trying to create this like fake level of artifice. It's like, no, this is we're going to have fun with this. This is going to be a good time. And I totally love that. And he just. It's like, what is he doing half the time? Who knows? But it's just like getting into the craziest (laughs) trouble. Like that he gets so excited about that Ringo's invitation to go to some skeezy like bar casino thing. And he's like, (laughs) the look in his eyes, you're just like, this guy's a troublemaker. I love him. Let's see. And when he he takes that outfit from the bellhop. And then when he's in the closet and they just keep on going there, I was like, there's an old man in the closet. Just like. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. So it's funny you brought up like the the grandfather is low key like a cab, which I also <laughs> caught on to. Um, yeah. You know the Beatles they 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 all become pretty very very vocal like social activists. Um, in particular, yeah. John Lennon um, becomes very much so. And like I know Paul McCartney is very big for veganism, and and um, George Harrison was very involved in like the Free Tibet campaign and all that sort of stuff. So they they mm-hmm. all took their various routes of of political and social like, um, awareness. And 
it's funny, like in that scene where they're uh, Ringo and the grandfather in jail, after the cops are chasing them around, or the Bobbies are chasing them around, <laughs> <laughs> they do a shot where they zoom into a poster that's on the wall that says, you know, London police, like best job in the world or something like that. So I think yeah. even at the time they were trying to throw in little like, like little winks to people being like, yeah, like we're not as buttoned up as everyone thinks, you know, they're sort of yeah. playing fun at that. Even like the inner, the sequence of the inner where they're like doing the interviews and stuff. Yeah. You could, they're playing like they're really like mocking so much of what they've experienced on their day to day life, like getting interviewed and the way that they're able to like turn that on them and have the interviewers become the butts of the jokes. I think that's totally cool. Like it just shows a, a whole lot more awareness than I think you might expect mm -hmm. from, I, I feel like that's probably the theme of this episode. Just like not being, being shocked by how aware and self-aware they are and, and how they, how mm -hmm. they yeah. vocalize that. It's so great. Especially for that time. Yeah. And, and more things like that, they were, I mean, again, they were just like very funny and sarcastic with things like that. And that came to head in like in 1966, uh, they were being interviewed and someone basically, you know, they're talking about the Beatles and how popular they are. And John Lennon basically says, you know, he says we're more popular than Jesus now. And that caused like a huge amount of like protest uh, in the United, in all over the world, but in the United States, obviously, because Americans are stupid. Um, yeah. You know, they were like Beatles burnings uh, oh, because they God. were saying like, oh, you know, they're saying they're bigger than Jesus or whatever. And so it's funny that this happens a couple of years before, you know, their little sarcastic interview comments. Really it's like, like the bites Starbucks the Christmas cups. Right, Remember right. that? I worked, I worked at Starbucks during that and a lady <laughs> actually came in and yelled at me. Oh and goodness. I was just like, if this is the biggest problem in your life, then you must have a really good life. <laughs> but also what the fuck? <laughs> So Canadians oh, have yeah. that issue yeah. too. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and speaking of how the Beatles developed like their social and political opinions, I think a big standout for me was when George Harrison is uh, confused to be a model. Yes. Uh, that whole sequence is so funny to me. Like, I mean, it's them saying like, you know, don't listen to the corporations. The people know what's popular, not the corporations basically, which mm -hmm. is obviously a theme that people still say today. Um, but you know, this guy who's a big wig at this fashion magazine doesn't know who when the Beatles are yeah. and like the way he's ringing it, you know, George Harris is like, well, that shirt's ugly. Like I'm not going to, I wouldn't, I would never wear that shirt. <laughs> and the whole thing of being like very early in their anti-commercialism stuff is very funny to me. Yeah. Um, and, and it stands out. That, that scene stood out to me a lot. That was, whole, that, that scene was pretty funny. And I like when they, when he's talking about like the model, like the girl, she's like the teen dream model. Yeah. And yeah. he's just like, yeah, we absolutely hate her. Like we turn the volume down and just like make fun of her. And it's, it's, I don't know. It was, it was a good, like, it was like a perfect pitch like comedy mm -hmm. moment. And I think if something, if you were to like take that scene and put it into something today, like it would like slap just as hard. Like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The rebellion against what people tell you is popular versus what really is. Totally. Um, I, th I think it's cool that they squeeze that in there, even amongst their massive popularity and massive commercialism. It's just more of them saying like, you know, we're obviously the biggest thing in the world right now, but we're still going to, make call outs to what we still believe like yeah. is true as musicians and artists. And, and I think use that's, our platforms to speak our truth. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's very cool. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the musical numbers. Um, 
So it's not a traditional musical in any way. They, it's more like mini music videos along uh, yeah. throughout the movie. Um, the first time we hear them play, it's funny. They're like in the train and they're sort of like behind bars, which I think is also sort of a little nod. Like they're in the animal cage, but yeah. it's sort of to me like behind bars. So I think they're already sensing like this is going to be sort of a problem, like the way we're going to have to perform in the future. Like they already knew. And I think that was sort of like a part of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then they do a bunch of other numbers where they're performing on stage. Um, in particular, the, the lighting for when they do And I Love Her which is the acoustic song. Um, the lighting in that scene the is lighting beautiful. throughout the whole movie like, is so great. The whole thing is really great. Yes. Um, but that in particular, I think looks amazing. And then they have some scenes where it's just them doing like montages, but boom, you're a big musical fan. So what were your thoughts on how they presented the music? Yeah, I thought it was really fun. Um, I loved the, when they were doing, I should have known better mm-hmm. when they're behind, when they're in the pen. Um, and I loved when they're in the field. I think they were all shot very well. And it is this kind of like, again, speaking to the chaos of the film that like I wasn't necessarily vibing with. It was was these like nice breakaway moments, right? Because their music is very endearing. It's very nice. And it was fun also because everything's so claustrophobic and they're always trying to like escape and get away. And then you find them in, in these like musical moments and they're just kind of like free and happy mm-hmm. and, and it's nice. So. Yeah, that song when they're, they're like the first musical number that we've both mentioned now where they're in the pen, yeah. that song, I have been singing and humming that song like all day, all day today. And I've been listening to that album like all day. And that is sort of like the one thing that like, I, I don't love the Beatles in as much a hardcore way, but, um, Ian, that you are like, I just not, it's not that ingrained in me, but I, I do love them and I listen to them all the time, but like. Sometimes you just don't. Sometimes it just like pops off and then you're listening to other stuff. And it's always so refreshing to like come back and just like listen to the Beatles. Like it's just so fun. Every it, you're, My mood just elevates instantly. And every one of these songs totally mm-hmm. does that. And, and it fills you with just such joy. And it was just so nice to just hear those songs. But like now to like to listen to that song, which is not a song like I've ever no, like really care. Yeah, it's about. not one of their more popular. Yeah, songs, but it's right? such a jam, and like they're having such a great time, and the way it's being shot and it, the way it's being edited together, so cool. I was li- the second time I watched the movie, I listened to it with the commentary. There's like a commentary version oh, uh, yeah. on the Criterion Channel, and it, then they're interviewing like uh, like lighting guys and editors and a couple of the actors and stuff, and it was cool because one of the behind the scenes like crew guys was talking about, you know, like the French new wave films that were sort of like coming up in and around Mm -hmm. this time were like really influential on how they were going to be editing the movie. And it really does shows that like there is like, this is the cutting and the, like you're not getting audio straight from the action. You know, it's, you've got the overhead songs during musical numbers, but even when they're talking, it's like there's the way that it's edited together. So fun. Um, And, and that has a, such a great vibe like all of the musical numbers have just such a unique little each one is its own little moment and it's and they're all totally varied and it's really cool and really fun Mm -hmm. yeah the way they shot it um is called cinema verite that's sort of the style that 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 uh cinephiles and and film nerds use for like the black and white documentary style totally like french new wave sort of stuff Uh, um yeah 100 percent. so let's talk about the last scene so 
last scene is basically an extended concert, essentially, mm-hmm. um, that just features them playing, I think, three songs. Uh, and then just with cuts of that insane crowd, which again, like people watching it might think that that's acting. But if you look at any concert footage of them performing live, that is what is happening. Um, and so for me, I think that's a cool, like sort of, um, obviously, you know, maybe at the time, obviously they didn't realize like how long sort of archival footage would last. But to me, that's like almost sits as like historical documentation, right. Yeah. Of like, you know, of what these concerts were like. And they put it on film, they put it on screen for people who haven't been to a Beatles concert. They don't know what it's like. This is their opportunity to say, hey, if you haven't had a chance to see us, we didn't come to your town, you couldn't get tickets, you couldn't afford tickets. Like, this is a concert for you. And I think that's such a cool, like, tribute to their fans and to, like, how they could experience the Beatles in a way that they, you know, never get to before. It was nice that they found that balance because I think, like, there's a lot going on in the movie and it's a fun movie and it's comedy and... And I like that they did that at the end because at the end of the day, like they're musicians um, mm-hmm. and that is what, that's why people love them. So it was just kind of like this nice touch. And I do feel like it was very balanced to the film. Like I've seen mo- movies like um, Bohemian Rhapsody when they basically just like recreate um, the, the live age show, the live age show. And I was like, I don't need this. Like, this is like 15 minutes we could be spending, like doing something else and like showing something else. Um, But I did like the end when they were just kind of playing their music. It was very sweet and it was a nice touch. And I think it worked well with everything. And that's what they were kind of like racing towards as well. Like Mm -hmm. this film seems like, like they're going from point A to point B, how they get there and they get there. And I like that we spent some time there. So, yeah, I I mean, that's what Boom said right at the end is sort of exactly how I feel. Like there is this sort of like momentum that's happening throughout the movie. We're like, okay, we are sort of like, oh, we are slowly getting to this thing. And so to that anticipation just feels so much better when you're, when you're then like, it's satisfying to have that end where it's like, okay, yeah, here is that thing you've been waiting for that thing. We've been teasing you the whole time. And here's here are the Beatles doing the Beatles thing, and it, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense that you would have that at the end. Everything else before it is to me like is much more fun and interesting and like crazy. <laughs> um, but it is nice to have that. I think yep. the balance. Awesome. Did you have anything? Any other points you want to call out? No, I I like there was like one like there's just like some fun moments yeah, like that like, whole conversation um, with uh, John Lennon. And that woman, and they meet sort of in the stairwell, <laughs> yeah. and she's like, "Oh, you're him." He's like, "No, I'm not. I'm not him." And she's like, "No, you're him." And then it's like the they never say his name. It's sort of like this back and forth, you know. And she finally, he finally convinces her that he's not him. Yeah. And <laughs> she walks away, and then he's just kind of like, "Oh, she she's more him than I am." And you're like, "Well, because she eventually looks at him and is like." wait, no, you look nothing like him. And then he gets kind of like in his feelings about it. <laughs> Cause, and that's also like when he's walking away and he's like, well, she looks more like him than I do. That's like in his head. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's so like, it's such a, it's, it, it's so cool to see them. So like how many times he's run into that situation before. And like, I just love the way build in this comedic persona in these comedic personas, you really f- get a real truth about, what it was like for them in the, in that time. 
and how hard yeah. it was for them and what they were going through. And uh, the movie is hard to get into. For, like, will be hard for a lot of people to get into. I think it's just so abstract. It's more abstract than you, you you can you'd expect. And mm-hmm. but there is like such a great kernel of truth inside that movie that if you take the time to sit through and get through, like you really do get some really interesting information about their experience mm-hmm. in like through in in like Beatlemania. So yeah, nice. Uh, so let's choose our criterion moments. So for those who are listening for the first time. Each week, we select a scene or moment from the film that we choose to be our Criterion moment as to why it was featured, in this case, uh, to be in the Criterion collection. Um, who wants to go first? I can go first. Well, I can go first because I'm cheating on my answer, or I can go last because okay. I'm cheating. So it's Go first because you're cheating. Okay, so my cheat is, it's not a scene. It's, like, it's in the <laughs> Criterion because of the movie, like what it is. Like, as we've talked before, it's like, mm. it's... The grit, like the at the time, the biggest band in the world, putting out what was essentially like a small budget film that was just going to sell records. That was the reason they were making it. And then instead, what they did is they turn around and made this a surreal, honest, somehow like a surrealist, honest depiction of what it's like to be them, and sort of like turned fandom and everyone who was looking at them. It sort of like it took and put a mirror up against them and forced them to sort of like look at how they look at that at them as musicians and and popular figures and so it's like not mm-hmm. one scene or another it's like it's mm-hmm. in the criterion because the whole thing is just batshit crazy and you can't believe, and you can you can't believe they did it <laughs> and i think if i have to pick a scene then i think it's that interview scene because mm-hmm. it, it yeah. just embodies all of those ideas but it's not just one scene like that on its own is not particularly mind-blowing but it is mm-hmm. how the whole film is made is just like whoa they did that that's crazy what you just did so that's my cheat i accept the cheat boom what about you um i think my criterion moment was when they're on the train and i should have known better is playing while they're in that pen playing cards um it's just kind of like a very sweet moment and it's like one of the few calming moments in the film which i liked um it's kind of also symbolic that they're in the cage, um, which is kind of like a motif that plays out throughout the film. Mm-hmm. So I think it is kind of like setting it up in that sense. Like it is very chill, but at the same time, it's like we are going to spend the rest of this movie watching them kind of like in these claustrophobic situations, in these like cages, trying to like break away from that. And that's kind of the one moment that they're just kind of embracing it. But mm-hmm. you still see them kind of being themselves and that's kind of shining through as well. So I'd say that was my criterion moment. So my moment is the And I Love Her performance on stage. Mm-hmm. Again, I think the lighting, like Hatcher said, is really great throughout the whole thing, but it really works so well in that um, it shows, you know, like Boom said, it shows like a lot them at sort of like a very like intimate moment um, where they're sort of performing, really focusing on their music. Uh, also, that's one of my dad's favorite songs. And so whenever Aww. I hear that, shout out to my dad. Again, I think I'm with Catcher too. Like, I think it's in the, the Criterion whole, yeah. because it's the Beatles and their first movie and you can't, you know, deny their impact on any sort of pop culture moment that they had. And this was a huge one um, yeah. in particular. So just, just a quick thing, because you mentioned lighting again, and I've been meaning to bring this up. Do you know the cinematographer of this movie is the guy who shot Dr. Strangelove? <laughs> I did not know that. Isn't that I crazy? Oh. That. that is crazy. And he also yeah. was a cinematographer on Last Hope. 
a new interesting. hope. A new, a new hope. hope. Jeez. Oh, God. I can't wait to hear those letters. Yeah. Interesting. Um, <laughs> Star Wars A New Hope was this guy as well. I like, did not know that. But the, the, he had done Dr. Strangelove just before this movie. And then wow. he did this. So wow. the lighting obviously is quite telling. Like, it is so gorgeous in this movie. Um, and yeah, I found that out. Yeah. So he worked with Kubrick and the Beatles back to back. Pretty, pretty big. That's a one two punch. Yeah, that is a one two punch. Great picks, everyone. So let's go to our Criterion pairings. Um, so again, each week we choose what we think we should pair with it. I, I'll go first on this one. My Criterion pairing for this, which again, if you have a better name for us, let us know. Shoot us an email. Tweet at us. Uh, is John Lennon's book In His Own Right, spelled mm-hmm. W-R-I-T-E. Uh, it's actually like, it's classified as a nonsense literature sur- surrealist poem book. It's only like 80 <laughs> pages or so. And it's basically a bunch of poems and drawings that he wrote um, from when he was a kid up until when it came out in 1964. So right around when the movie came out. Um, And if you want a sense of like how John Lennon's mind works, you get more of it in the later songs, like I'm the walrus and stuff like that. Um, But you get a glint and you get it in the film as well. But the poems in here are really great. Um, I mean, the title alone, he puts in like a little wordplay there in his own right. Um, But the, you know, the the poems in the book and the drawings in it are all really cool. I'm sure you could find, you know, if you do, I think it's only like 10 bucks on Amazon, but I'm sure you can find PDFs of it somewhere nice. online. Um, and it's really cool just to see again, like uh, into the mind of the great John Lennon. So uh, that, that will be my pick for that. Sweet. Boom, how about you? Um, yeah. So the first thing that popped into my head when I was thinking of a pairing for this um, film was Nick and Nora's infinite playlist. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's parallels in the sense that it's like a small scale adventure that plays out over like a short period of time. Um, also like one of the driving forces of the film is, or like of the story is music. Um, and like Nick and Nora came out when I was like 18 And the music I was listening to was kind of a way of like soul searching in like an intense teenager kind of way. And for some reason, this movie just (laughs) seemed really important. Um, As I'm sure Heart Days Night felt to people like when it came out. I mean, not obviously not on the same scale. No, but the way music spoke to them. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Exactly. And then it's also kind of like documenting that moment when like indie was entering the mainstream and coincidentally, like all those bands sound like the Beatles anyways. Um, And there's also like a cute scene with like a Beatles analogy in it. Um, Yeah, and I'll literally never forgive the early 2000s for like positioning Michael Sarah as this like weird pseudo heartthrob. <laughs> but I do think it's just like a cute nostalgic movie. And I think like our parents or, you know, you know, older generations would kind of like look at Hard Day's Night as in the same way. So mm-hmm. yeah, Nick and Nora's cool. infinite playlist. No, I great. think that that's great. Great pick. poll. Yeah. Yeah. Great pick. <laughs> okay. So for mine, uh, Ian, your favorite band is the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And my favorite band is Radiohead. Um, I love well, Radiohead's Radiohead. also my favorite band. Okay. I have two ones. But <laughs> I'm lie. with you on that. Okay. It's the Beatles. <laughs> it's Radiohead and it's Kanye West. Yes, we'll yes. Okay. That's my, that's my top three. So in this sort of like weird, I always, I always think of like Radiohead and the Beatles as sort of like these like two ops, like they're sort of Radiohead is like the end of like what the Beatles started in a weird way. They're mm. sort of like, 
in a similar a similar style band, and they put out this a really amazing documentary uh, that followed their lives during like the blow up of uh, OK Computer, a documentary called uh, Meeting People Is Easy, and it just shows it's sort of the same movie except instead of it being like this haha silly pseudo documentary, it's an actual documentary, and it just shows how terrible being famous especially as a musician in the 90s can be mm-hmm. and what that experience is like and in the same way that how um a hard day's night showed that toll and what would eventually what was happening to them would lead them into sort of their more creative period uh this experience for radiohead is what they turned around and made kid a and amnesiac with mm-hmm. and so to see them just totally get destroyed by being on tour and overworking and all this stuff and then to know what sort of comes right after this it's really cool so i think it's uh yeah a great pairing for this movie so uh meeting people is easy is the name of the documentary and it's about radiohead so that's my choice i'm going to try and prevent this from derailing for another 45 minutes but (laughs) i I think I, i actually think um the the two other musicians or bands that I think have the prowess and the creative development of the Beatles in that time span are Radiohead and Kanye. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the two, like those two bands, none of no two albums sound alike for, you know, Oh, I guess Radiohead once you get to, I mean, okay. Computer to the bands was like night and day. And then from there on, like no two albums sound the same. Kanye obviously has the same thing after the late registration. Yeah. Um, both bands fell very are victims in varying degrees, and for Kanye, obviously brings it upon himself more than the other mm-hmm. two. Um, victims of popularity and fame. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I think those two artists are are on that level as well. For sure, great picks. Uh, all right, so let's get to our rankings um, or ratings. So I'm going to give this a four and a half Ooh. out of five. I admit massive bias. I admit my love for this movie. (laughs) I admit my love for the Beatles. Again, I I love it shamelessly. There's nothing. This is like uh, if our our buddy Danny over at 70 millimeter, if he's talking about any Spielberg movie from 1980 to 1990, that's a five star immediately. Mm -hmm. I will treat this in the same protective coating as that. Uh, I mean, I just love him so much. It's so cool to see. Like if I, if I were to time travel, I would time travel to see the Beatles live like 100%. That's what I would do. Uh, Or if I could control where I was, it would be to see them in the studio recording specifically. Uh, But that is what I would do 100%. So this is the closest I get to it, to seeing them perform like that. Um, And so for me, it's just like, you know, I would love to see it. I am ready for the lower ratings. Who wants to go first? (laughs) Uh, Okay, Boom, why don't you go? Because okay. I think only because I think I might have a little bit more for I might be more forgiving, but you also okay. enjoy musicals, so I don't know. So why don't you go and we'll see how it okay. goes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I gave it three and a half. And oh, that's better. I was expecting. Yeah, okay, no, that. I like. I do think I can kind of look at it in like a holistic way and understand that it is a truly good film. Um, I can understand how influential and important it was. Um, But I do think a lot of what makes this film special is kind of exclusive to being like a diehard Beatles fan or maybe even just like a solid Beatles fan, which I'm not necessarily. 
Um, and just from, I did find it to be like very jam packed. And I do, do think that I was just kind of like rearing off a little bit. I wasn't able mm-hmm. to, I just felt like I was working really hard to like it. Um, so, and in the end I do, but yeah, so that's kind of where, where I lie, but. And I know that when I say I'm not like a solid Beatles fan, I know that also means that I'm like 1% of the population. <laughs> so I feel like objectively, this is like a four, four, four and a half star movie. This is just <laughs> me being. I get flagged for a Beatles love often. So you're not alone on that. Yeah. Boom. You have to rate them how you see them. And it's yeah. not up to anybody else's whatever. Mm-hmm. And we all are going to have our own experiences with movies. And sometimes it's, how you're seeing them at the time or your headspace. And sometimes you mm-hmm. hate a movie and sometimes you turn yeah. around and you love the movie and it's, you just have to be living your truth and don't even worry about what other people think. Yeah. If you like the movie, you like the movie. Like in terms of like my rating, like solid three, mm-hmm. I think it's, and you, all three. You thought my rating was going to be. I know, I know. Well, <laughs> I figured. Than yours? I thought it might, there was a chance it might. I understand the importance. I'm impressed by the, like the editing. The cinematography is great. The quippiness, yeah. like the level of the writing is really, is really fun, mm-hmm. but it's, and, and that is, I will give it all of that. And so that'll bring it up to a three, but it's not, a, <laughs> but it's not a movie I'm going to sit down and put on all the time. It's, yeah. I'm not, but I'm a serious film guy. Okay. I don't like your funny movie. No. It's just, it, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, it's just like, it's just not, it's not a comfort food for me. Like yeah. I'd rather put space balls on. Then watch this movie if I'm looking to like just make myself feel good and watch a good funny movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so like three s- solid stars. Like it's incredible what they did. It's r- truly ahead of their time. But uh, yeah, three. That's all I got. Just three. Just three stars. But the most solid of of all the, the stars. The most solid of three <laughs> stars. It's not like just a good three. It's a solid three yeah. star yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, well, there you have it, folks. If you have your thoughts on a hard day's night and you would like to either back me up or also bury me, uh, you can shoot <laughs> us an email or voicemail at cinenotspod at gmail.com. Uh, we got two voicemails this week from the same person. I already talked about him earlier in this episode. Oh. <laughs> Our buddy H over at Dune Pod. I knew Can't he'd be, be sending one in. Can't be he stopped. sent one in and he said, sorry, I got too excited and finished the first voicemail before I even finished the rest of your episode, which was great. Enjoy. Allow me to set the scene for you. Oh, my God. It was the last weekend of October 2008 in the final days of a hotly contested presidential election. (laughs) A group of dads from my daughter Cayman's school all took our 11-year-old daughters to Reno to knock on doors for a young candidate, Barack Obama. (laughs) We were shocked when Obama himself showed up for an impromptu speech, which fired us up for a full day of knocking doors in trailer parks and backcountry neighborhoods of Reno. (laughs) Exhausted but hopeful, I offered to take the girls to the movie theater for the release of the movie we'd all been waiting for. What song is this? I am, of course, speaking of High School Musical. <laughs> for years, all three film soundtracks were regular staples for windows down, full-throated singing on road trips for my daughter and I. Okay. Needless to say, I approve Judge Boom's thoughtful assignment and look forward to the episode kicking off Ian's inevitable campaign to get High School Musical 3 added oh to the criteria. <laughs> Oh my! Copyright Ian. Copyright oh. Ian. Oh. Oh my! Hey, oh my that God. was epic. That was, uh, 
That was incredible. All right, that was each voicemail number one. Good year all uh, around. I remember how stoked I was for High School Musical <laughs> 3. <laughs> Were you more excited for High School Musical 3 or Obama? Um, what? High School Musical <laughs> 3? Be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, High School Musical yeah. 3. <laughs> all right. And then here is uh, part two, because I guess he got excited uh, at the High School Musical 3 <laughs> shout out. All right. Oh man, I recorded that last voicemail before I even finished the episode. I got so excited. And then I got to Ian's pick and he said, Hard Day's Night. Holy shit, what an incredible movie. What an incredible album. I will say I was raised on Sgt. Pepper's and the White Album and I always dismiss the early Beatles. But when I saw that film, uh, they were so already jaded and just so cool mm. and hyper aware of exactly what was going on and songs like if i fell are some of the absolute all-time greatest that the beatles have ever done so really excited to hear your take nice. thanks age h thank you for getting yeah, uh, apple you. for pulling this by throwing in yep, beatles over. music unlicensed Podcast <laughs> uh, that's our buddy H over at Dune Pod. You can check them out. They're everywhere. I think they're about to release their season finale might be out by the time this episode comes out, but uh, Catcher has been on there a number yeah. of times to chat about uh, various movies like Lady Bird was most recent. Uh, I was on there to talk to them about No Country for Old Men. Boom. Did you know what that song was like as it was playing in the background? Like, did you catch like I assume that's a, 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 like a high school musical three song? It took me a minute. Um, but yes. <laughs> and I'm kind of excited because I feel like based on mine and Catcher's um like star ratings for a hard day's night. It's just going to be like him giving us another voicemail where he's just playing like the angry <laughs> Zac Efron <laughs> song that happens in every high school musical where he's like, who am I? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> and then just yelling at us. So. <laughs> uh, again, shoot us an email at cinenospod at gmail.com. All right. So before we wrap the show, catcher, let us know. Where's our next mission? Where are you taking us next? Okay, so I think on this, sh I may have on this show, maybe not, talked about my love for Barry Jenkins, uh, director mm -hmm. of Moonlight, and yes. if Beale Street could talk, I love him to pieces. Ugh. He's so oh great, and God. he's so smart. I love to hear him speak, and uh, the Criterion Collection has a YouTube channel, and they have this amazing uh, segment where they let directors go into this closet and inside the closet is like all of their DVDs and Blu-rays and they're allowed mm -hmm. to just take whatever they want for free and they can take it with them. And so there's an episode with Barry Jenkins and he goes through and he apologizes the entire time because he's pulling like book, like movie after movie after movie off the shelf and he gets into all these different movies and he talks about each one that he pulls off. And I just love him so much and he, in one of the movies he pulls off, is a film I love called Fat Girl, which we will eventually one day mm. do for this show, but we're not going to do next. Oh, okay. But what I decided was I love him so much and I find his film so fascinating that why not go through his movies that he selected throughout this whole interview and I've collected, mm. I've made a whole list and I'm going to slowly but surely knock down every one of the films that he talks about in this uh, YouTube episode. So... Number one, we're going to start with from this collection, from the Barry Jenkins collection, I'm going to call it. We are going to do Lahaine, <laughs> which is uh, a French film. And that's all I know about okay. it. And I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that. Vincent Cassell is in it, I believe. And uh, that. Mm -hmm. Vincent Cassell, yeah. Saeed Tagma Tagmaol, 
I think I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have to pronounce that better. But yeah, yes. we'll work on our French for next week. Yeah, we're all gonna have to take French lessons. Okay, boom. Me and you're gonna have to bring out our duotangs and dust them off and check out what's going on. Okay. I don't know much about the movie. I don't like knowing much about movies if I can. I like to avoid it. So it's Lahaine, and we're gonna okay. see that next week. So I'm really excited. Nice. This came out in 1995. Yeah, black and white French. Ooh. independent film and it was added to the Criterion Collection in 2007 uh, and then they did a re-release in 2012 the Beret I haven't seen this movie yeah um, this is big on uh, film nerds lists Lahaine yeah he's, oh. he's I'm gonna need you guys to uh, type out it and send it to me otherwise I'm gonna end up watching the wrong movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the vow and then yeah uh, no yeah. I'm really excited he said that this was the movie that uh, when he was in college they would just every like on Saturdays this was the movie they would get together hang out order pizza get some beers and just watch this movie over and over again so I'm really very Jenkins said that yeah so I'm nice yeah I'm very excited so that's what also, we'll be watching also I just I love Barry Jenkins and I just want to shout out um, If Beale Street Could Talk. It's yeah. being like oh, one of my movie. favorite. Like it's such a good movie, but it's one of my favorite movie scores yeah. of mm-hmm. all time. I, and so well shot. Yes. It's so beautiful to look at. I go to bed to that soundtrack on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that's it. That's my all pick. Right. Let's do it. Ooh. Let's do it. All right. So this is going to be our first foray in the French film. Uh, very exciting. Awesome. Well, catch a broom. I will miss you very much over the next week. Mm-hmm. I will I'll see you for our next too. mission when we journey to France. Woo-hoo. Here we go. Everyone, thank you for listening. Bring your beret. Ciao, bye. <laughs> <laughs>